Good evening, Urban Hope. I think I got everything adjusted. I got like 18 things going on. Um, but I think I'm good. Uh, it's always good to be with family um, tonight or this evening. Uh, the word we will be in Philippians chapter three, verses one through 12. If you if you have the word of God, feel free to stand as we read it together. Um, I'll give you guys a moment to situate yourselves. All right. Philippians 3 verses 1 through 12 in the CSB. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. He says, in addition, my brothers and sisters rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus and do not put confidence in the flesh. Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh. Anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh. I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews regarding the law, a Pharisee regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. Verse seven, but everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I've suffered the loss of all things and considered them as dung so that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. Verse 10, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Verse 12, not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. This is the word of God. Maybe seated. Ten years ago, uh, around this time, I was actually entering my freshman year uh, of college uh, at the University of West Georgia. Oh, Wolves. Shouts out to whoever said that. Um, so yeah, so yeah, West Georgia, uh, my alma mater. Thank you, God, for that experience. Um, but something happened uh, within the first couple weeks of me uh, being on campus that I did not see coming. Was not expecting this to happen. I was just a freshman uh, looking to get adjusted to the college life uh, and just trying to figure out if I could even 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 be able to pass my classes. Right. I was really one of my biggest concerns going in. Um, but within a couple weeks of being there on campus, uh, I was actually uh, hooping, playing basketball, and I actually ran into someone and that person. Um, was actually playing pickup basketball as well that day. 
And uh, through the conversation that me and him had uh, while sitting on the sideline waiting to play, uh, I learned something about myself that I didn't know. And it was that I, I didn't really know who Jesus Christ was. I came into college uh, thinking that I was a Christian, uh, having grown up in the church, uh, having, uh, you know, sung all the songs and got baptized and did all of that. I thought I was a believer. But long story short, uh, like I said, through that conversation, um, that was not the case. And from then, uh, me and that individual did a Bible study together. Is that, is that me? Okay, my bad. Uh, do I not? Oh. Somebody want to take this? Appreciate it, brother. Yeah, through that, through a Bible study and sitting down and reading the book of John, uh, uh, I gave my life to Christ. And I was probably around um, October, November. Uh, and so by God's grace, I became one of his children and, and, and the rest is history. And since then, I've been walking with God, growing, um, learning what it means to be a Christian. Is that we can pause? Is that me? No. All right. All right, let's take a pause. All right. Uh, so, yeah. This is crazy. <laughs> um, is it me? I don't think so. Is it me? Is it me? Is it me? No. Mic check, mic check, mic check. All right. Um, so, yeah. Trying to uh, gain my thought again. But... But yeah, since then, I've been growing and walking with the Lord, and, and, and by God's grace, I'm here standing before you. Uh, and so in light of that, it's, it's actually been 10 years, so it's cool to be able to say that I've been a, a decade in the faith. And a couple weeks ago, I was thinking about this, and the Lord brought it to my attention that it's been 10 years. And I was trying to sit and reflect and think on, what, you know, what's been the biggest thing that I can say that I've taken away from my experience so far as a Christian, right? Just just meditating and thinking on that. And I had some thoughts come to mind. And as I was thinking about uh, tonight and preaching, I was trying to uh, answer this question and also uh, trying to think through what it is that the Lord would want me to share uh, this evening. Um, and as I was skimming through the word of God, uh, I actually landed on uh, Philippians chapter three. And uh, I didn't really know at first if the answer or the thoughts that I had uh, would line up with uh, Philippians 3. But as I began to study it, uh, the Lord revealed to me that um, what Paul has to share with us uh, is exactly uh, what I was able or have been able to take away so far as a believer. So what's happening? What's going on in Philippians? If you're looking at the word of God, I don't know if Paul's, Paul might be able to put it up. Um, Paul is actually writing this letter to the church in Philippi. Um, most people say that he was writing, the, writing this letter just to update them on how he was doing, um, but to also encourage them. So Paul was looking to encourage them. And in chapter three, uh, as he begins to address some things, Paul finds himself having to correct some false theology that is being spread among the people. So he starts the letter, no, not the letter, but this chapter by saying, in addition, my brothers and sisters, Rejoice in the Lord. Right. Looking to encourage them, he says to write to you again. This is no trouble for me, 
and is a safeguard for you. And he says, watch out for the dogs, watch out for the evil workers, watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. In this particular situation, there was a group uh, uh, called the Judaizers. Uh, these people were Jews uh, who were saying that one must keep the Old Testament law in order to be saved. Right. So they were saying, in addition to putting your faith in Jesus Christ, you must also keep the law in order to be saved. So they were basically saying that it is not enough to just put your faith in Jesus, but we must also bring something to the table. And if you're a Christian, you know, this totally goes against the gospel that Jesus preached. So Paul, uh, being Paul, an apostle, a worker for Jesus Christ, he corrects this and he says, for we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the spirit of God, boast in Jesus Christ and do not put confidence in the flesh. So Paul says, if you're if you got caught up having coffee with these guys and they were trying to, you know, what I'm saying spit this 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 false gospel at you. He says that is not the case. We uh, do not subscribe to that. Uh, those of you who know the gospel know that is not, in fact, the truth. And we see other passages in Scripture that attest to this. Uh, Ephesians two, verse eight through nine says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Amen. So it's not about us, but it's about Jesus. And it can't be about us because if it was about us, we would have reason to boast. And in Romans six, verse 23, we're in the Roman series right now with Pastor Alton. It says for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So we see uh, that these Judaizers are not correct. They're not accurate. And they're spreading a false gospel. Uh, they were trying to put confidence in themselves or put, or give themselves confidence. When in reality, as Christians, we're called to put all our confidence in Jesus. And this issue of false teaching is not just something the people in Philippi had to deal with, but we also have to deal with. Right. So Paul's not just talking to. The church in Philippi, this is also a warning for us. Um, we so because of that, as I was thinking and, and, and praying through this, I wanted to, to let you know that you must be careful uh, who and what you listen to. Uh, OK, I like that. So there are people who will try to convince you that Jesus Christ alone is not enough. Right. There are people there will be people out there there'll be pastors, preachers, whoever that will try to convince you of something different than the gospel that we have here in the word of God. Um, and that looks different. Um, and with the Internet age and having all this access to information and other people and preachers, especially during quarantine, when everyone's posting sermons online, we must be extra careful. Right. So Paul says, watch out for the dogs, watch out for the evil workers, watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. Right. So Paul corrects them. And he really could have stopped. He really could have stopped right there. Um, but but Paul decides to go a little deeper. He wants to make it more real. Right. He doesn't want to just correct them, um, even though that is enough. Right. What he what he's proclaimed is enough. It is the truth. He takes it a step further and he says, 
Although, in verse 4, I myself have reasons for confidence in the flesh. So these people, the Judaizers, they were trying to put confidence in the flesh. Paul says, no, we don't do that. But he says, but if we're talking, right, if we're just having conversation, let's just say, right, let's just say we did put confidence in the flesh, right? Let's just hypothetically speak. And he says, although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, Paul says, I have more. Right. So he's like, uh, I don't. Paul's like, I, I don't agree with you, but let's just say this was a resume competition. Let's just say this uh, was about what I can bring to the table. Paul says nobody is seeing me. If we're being honest. Right. He's not bragging. He's just being honest. He says no one's seeing me. He says I have a reason. He says he has grounds for confidence in the flesh. He says I have more. And then Paul goes on to give us a personal perspective on the matter. Um, and he kind of breaks this down for us by explaining why it is that if this thing was about us, if this thing was about the flesh, why he himself would have all the confidence. And he begins by uh, saying, I have uh, he says, I have more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. He says a Hebrew born of Hebrews regarding the law, a Pharisee regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. Some of y'all are probably thinking, what are you talking about? What is the significance of all this? Paul, what, just, what Paul just outlined is basically a top notch religious resume. Right. So if you were talking about the who's who of religion, uh, the who's who of status, Paul's resume just gave us that description. His birth and his ancestry, his ancestry were impeccable, according to Jewish Jewish standards. Paul had been circumcised on the eighth day. His parents did this in accordance with God's command given to Abraham. Paul was truly naturally of the people of Israel. In other words, he was born Jewish rather than being a convert to Judaism. Specifically, he was from the tribe of Benjamin, which is just which is just also a big deal. Paul's training and lifestyle were also perfect, according to Judaism. Paul calls himself a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was raised according to Jewish customs and learned uh, and had learned the Hebrew language. He was a Pharisee, which was the most religious conservative group of Jews in his time. Pharisees were known for strictly following Jewish laws and customs. And they were particular and they are particularly noted in the Gospels for their devotion to traditions of the law. And they felt that this kept them pure before the Lord. Right. So Paul says, just think, like, like, let's again, hypothetically speaking, let's just say this was about the flesh. This was about us. And we had something to bring to the table. He says, y'all are not seeing me. I have more reason than any one of y'all. Anybody who's trying to debate this. He says, I have more reason than all of you. So if we are putting confidence in the flesh, Paul should be the main one. Right. He should be the main one just by default. Right. Like there's no reason for him not to. He just break. He just broke it down for us. But we get to verse seven. And Paul switches gears. Uh, 
And he, again, takes it deeper, takes it a little further. And uh, when you're reading the word of God, uh, I really encourage you to, to, to take your time to uh, try to read it slowly. Uh, one of the things that I've come to realize is that the Bible uh, says a lot of uh, things that are really should catch you off guard if you're just reading slowly and trying to process it. Right. And I think verse seven and verse eight is one of those times, one of those moments where if you're reading this, this should stop and make you think. Should stop and just make you think like, what, bro, why, why would he say that? Like, how could someone say that? In verse seven, he says, but so he said, look, everything that I just mentioned, check this out. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered a loss. I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. What is Paul saying? Paul realized that these things that he used to look to, these things that he used to put his hope in, he could no longer put his hope in those things once he encountered Christ. If Paul could not have Christ, he's saying that there is no hope. The things that he used to consider valuable, the things that gave him worth are now nothing because of Christ. But here's the thing. It's not to say that those things are bad things. Um, but Paul is just saying those things don't compare to Jesus Christ. None of it measures up. And Paul is left realizing that Jesus is, in fact, enough. He's enough that I can't bring anything to the table. Nothing that I have is worthy. He is enough for my salvation. And he is also my everything. But Paul is like, that's just not enough, though. Paul, Paul, you just said something, but he was like, no, let me take it a little deeper. In verse eight, he says, more than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So Paul just said everything that I used to find value in or worth in before I met Jesus, he says, I've considered those things to be a loss. But he says, as a matter of fact, I actually count everything as loss. So not just things of the past, but things of the present and things in the future. Whatever it is that I might gain, Paul says that he counts everything as loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ. So for the Judaizers, they were putting their value um, in the flesh and in good works. For some of you, um, you may be on the same uh, same trajectory. Like for me, when I first uh, realized that I wasn't a Christian, I didn't realize it, but I, I was operating like a Judaizer. I thought that my good works meant something to God. Right. But some of you uh, may be putting value in that in a spiritual and in a religious sense. But some of us may be putting value into other things, material things. Right. Your home. Your family, your relationships, your job, your reputation, your achievements, your talents, your education, your safety, your bank balance for my budgeting people. 
right? Some of us may be putting value in these things. And we're looking to these things to do what only Jesus can do. Well, Paul says that none of these things compare. None of these things mean anything when it comes to the value of knowing Christ Jesus. And remember, we said Paul's resume was top notch. So I'm reading and I'm like, okay, Lord, Paul has every reason to be confident in the flesh, every reason to find value and worth in these other things. But he just told me that none of these things compare when it comes to knowing you. Stop. That should make you stop and think. How does someone go from putting value and confidence in the things of this world or the flesh to realizing that Jesus is truly our only hope and he is all that we need? In the case of the Judaizers, he's not he's he's enough. Uh, he's not just. Uh, he's not just enough for salvation, um, but he's enough for our joy, our fulfillment, our purpose. Right. So for those of you who may not be struggling with this in a religious sense, but you may be struggling with it in another sense. Jesus is enough for your joy, fulfillment and your purpose. But how does one make the leap from putting your value, putting your hope in, in this over here to now being satisfied in Jesus Christ? How do you make the leap? How do you get there? I don't think Paul would have wrote this the first day he became a Christian. Paul had put some years in, so he was able to say this, and I think he's, he meant it and he said it with confidence, and he knew what he was talking about. But Paul mentions something in verse eight. He says the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. The word knowing. The knowing that Paul is talking about is not just an intellectual understanding of Jesus. Right. When we say when someone says they're they know Jesus, they're not just saying that they they know of him or they know about him. He's not just saying that we read about him. Or we sing about him or even talk about him. Knowing him involves having a relationship with him. Everybody say relationship. relationship. A relationship. In Paul's estimation, knowing the Lord Jesus is an increasingly in an increasingly intimate and personal way was way was uh, in, a, in a personal way was off was of far greater value than anything that this world could offer. So knowing Jesus in a personal and intimate way was far greater value than all that this world could offer. So I was thinking about this again, going back to earlier, trying to process these last 10 years where the Lord has taken me, where have I come from and where I am now and how did I get here? How has the Lord matured me in the faith? And I was thinking about this. How does somebody go from basically unsatisfaction to satisfaction in Jesus Christ? Now, as I was thinking about this, knowing Jesus Christ, um, 
two things, two words came to my mind. And those two words were trust and obedience. If we want to know the Lord like the way Paul does, if we want to get to the place where Paul is, we must trust and obey him. Trust. For me, in my experience, I would say that a good bit of professing Christians that I've had the opportunity to interact with don't trust Jesus. Don't trust him. Don't trust him. I think they trust him with their salvation, but not much else. I trust you to get me to heaven, but that's about it. Back up. Stay over there. Don't get too close. And this plays itself out in how they interact with him and the decisions that they make. You can always tell this by the way people live and how they interact with, 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 with God or with the people of God. But I would say that it's, it is that would say that people who find it difficult to trust Jesus, there's a, there's a myriad of reasons why that is. But I would say that uh, the ones that I've actually interacted with, some of them uh, just don't have the right understanding of who he is. They don't have the right understanding of who he is. They don't really know. They, 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 they've either uh, just grown up in the church or they, they think Christianity is the cool thing to, to do or it's the right thing to do. So they just kind of jump in line and, and they say they're Christians, but they really don't know anything about Jesus. They don't just don't know him. And I would say I was in the same boat. Right. Ten years ago, I didn't really know Jesus. And one of the things that I thought was that when I was ready to take Jesus seriously, when I was younger, I would think about how, you know, I would need to just, you know, stop what I'm doing and take Jesus more seriously and take this Christianity thing more seriously. I was for some reason telling myself that I had to get you know, these things out of the way before I took Jesus seriously, because he's going to take all this fun away. All right. He when you come when you become a Christian, your life becomes boring. Right. And you don't get to do the things that you want to do. Right. This is what I thought about Jesus. Years ago. But that was because I didn't understand him. I didn't read the word of God. And the way we come to understand him is by reading him. Is by reading about him in his word. So you can't trust someone you don't know. You can't trust someone you don't know. You can't trust someone you don't understand. You can't. So the first thing we got to do is understand who he is. Who are you, Jesus? Before I start claiming you as my homie, who are you? Do you know him? In the parable of the good shepherd, Jesus tells us that he has come that we may have life and have it abundantly. That's in John 10, verse 10. So I thought that Jesus was trying to take life. John 10 says he comes so that he may give life and give it abundantly. Amen. Right? So not only does he come to give me life, but he's come to give it to me in abundance, plenty of it. He's not holding out. If we know this, if we know these things about Jesus, if we truly understand who he is, we will have um, the confidence and the ability to trust him. We will know that we can trust him. And we need to trust him. You can't grow. You can't grow in your knowledge, in your understanding. You can't grow in a relationship 
with Jesus if you don't trust him. I can't grow in my relationship with you guys if I don't trust you. I can't grow in my relationship with my wife if I don't trust her. Same thing with Christianity. Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. So that's one key element when I think about, okay, how does someone make this leap if we're truly going to find satisfaction, joy, fulfillment, hope, all that we need in Jesus? How do we get there? First, you must trust him. You got to trust him. Second is obedience. Everybody say obedience. 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 It's not a big word, but it's a nice size word. All right. Not only do we need to trust him, but you got to listen to him. You got to listen to him. Being a Christian means that you you are no longer in charge of your life. I'm say that again. Being a Christian means that you are no longer in charge of your life. Most people don't realize that. The word of God says we are called to submit ourselves to Jesus because he is Lord. You see, Paul there, he, he, he refers to him as Christ Jesus, my Lord. Right. So, again, most people are OK with Jesus as savior. But I would say that most people are not necessarily OK with him as Lord. But he's he's both of those things. He's both. You can't separate the two. You can't get one without the other. And the truth is that there is no growth in Jesus without obedience, listening to him, listening to his word, listening to his spirit. When it tells you to go this way versus going that way. Again, as I was reflecting and thinking about the times in my life over the last 10 years. um, You know, when I felt the Lord leading me to do something that was not in my plans. Every time, every time and it didn't fail, it resulted in me growing more as a believer and as a person. Every single time. Every single time. I felt the Lord nudging me to do this, but I didn't really want to do it. It wasn't a part of my plans. I didn't really have it, you know, again, in my in my five year, 10 year plan. But the Lord put it on my heart, put it in front of me. And when I did decide to trust him and obey him. It resulted in me growing more as a believer and as a person. And I got to experience Jesus more in that. Right. When I think about 2011, going on my first beach project. Some of y'all know what Beach Project is. I didn't want to go. I thought it was whack. Who wants to go to the beach for two months? I'm from New York. We don't swim. The beach is irrelevant. Why would I want to do that? I did it anyway. To this date, my wife will tell you, I think that was still the best summer of my life. Not only did I grow as a as a man, as a student, but I grow as I grew as a Christian. I learned things that I never learned before. I met people that I uh, would have never interacted with. And I and I fell in love with the beach. So New Yorkers, we like the beach. Right. I'm sorry for sleeping on the beach that long. Right. But the beach is dope. 
right? When I think about 2014, graduating college, moving to Birmingham, didn't want to move to Birmingham. Didn't know nothing about Birmingham. Just know y'all like to eat barbecue, and that was pretty much it, right? I like barbecue, but I wasn't finna move here for barbecue. But the Lord was leading me and guiding me in that direction. I didn't really want to go, but I did it anyway. Here I am. Urban Hope Community Church. I wouldn't know you guys. I wouldn't be the person that I am. I wouldn't have grown as much as I have. I wouldn't have had the experiences that I've had had I not moved to Birmingham. I love Birmingham. Not because of what Birmingham can offer, but because God is, I'm where God wants me to be. When I think about uh, having to decide whether or not to leave behind a, 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 a desire to work in the sports business world. That was something that I you know, had a desire to do. I worked really hard for it in college. But coming out of college, the Lord was trying to direct me in another, in another position, in another way, in another, another trajectory. And he was wanting me to pursue ministry. I didn't really want to do that, at least not that early. Did it anyway. And I, when I say these things, I'm not saying like every time this happened or these things happened, it was easy. Um, I wrestled with God, but I, but I listened to him. I obeyed him. And most recent, when I think about when my wife and I moved to Fairfield, we weren't even thinking about buying a house. We weren't even looking at houses. We weren't doing any of that. We were actually pretty content in where we were in life. But again, the Lord was nudging me. And I believe he was calling us to move and we did it and we haven't looked back. All of these things, when I think about them, have resulted in me gaining a deeper understanding of who Jesus is and has only grown my confidence in him. Check this out, y'all. He truly does know what's best for us. He really does. He will surprise you every single time. Paul himself can testify to this. We keep reading in verse eight. Paul says that because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ. The cool thing about uh, reading the Bible as Bible readers here in 2020, we get the privilege to see Paul's progression in the faith. We see him get saved on the road to Damascus. We see him become an apostle and begin his ministry. We read about him suffering for the sake of the gospel, being beaten, being imprisoned and people stabbing him behind his back. We read all of that about the Apostle Paul. We get to see him grow literally before our eyes in the faith. And we get to see God use him. And privileges that Paul used to have no longer benefit him. Now that he is in ministry, working for the Lord, doing these things that God has asked him to do. Some of the things that Paul uh, used to look to, uh, whether, it was, whether, whether it was for status or whether, whether it was to, 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 to allow him to be this person that was important in society, uh, none of those things benefited him anymore. And as a matter of fact, Paul is actually writing this letter from a prison. While sitting in prison, he's writing this letter. The CSB translation uses the word dung. Right. I don't have to. 
I'm going to define it, but I really don't have to define it for you to know that that's not a good thing. Right. It's too close to the word dumb for it to be a good thing. Right. Dung. I've never I don't use that word, but the CSB translation uses that word. Uh, some translations say rubbish. Rubbish. Right. But in the, the Greek word, uh, the word is also defined as garbage. Garbage. Paul says, because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and I consider them as garbage so that I may gain Christ. Paul reiterates that those things are worthless. Those things that I have lost. Right. Those things that I, again, thought that were important, were valuable apart from Christ. Paul says, I'm prepared to lose them in order to gain Christ. Through the ups and downs, his eyes are fixed on Jesus. Right. And we get to see that in Paul's life. So he's not just writing this and saying this as someone who's had it easy, as someone who hasn't been through anything. Paul has actually lost a lot for the sake of the gospel. And he says it's all good. Because he gets Christ. He gets to he gets to know Jesus. He gets to experience him more deeply and more intimately. Verse nine, let's keep reading. He says, in order that I may gain Christ in verse nine and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God based on faith. So now that Paul has experienced Jesus, he no longer is looking to the things that he used to um, look to to give him value and worth and things that things of the flesh. He's no longer living in that way. Now that he's experienced Jesus, he's began to walk with him. He's began to trust him. He's he's obeying him. Paul says, because of this, I want nothing more than to be found in him. Paul wants nothing more than to put his faith and trust in Jesus and nothing else. Once you experience Jesus, once you actually get a taste of who he is, you will want nothing else. You will want nothing but to be found in him. You will not be looking to yourself for your confidence, for your fulfillment, for your purpose, but you'll look to Jesus for all those things. You will not look to your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your wife for fulfillment or joy, but you'll look to him for all those things. Right. You will not look to your career to define you, but you'll look to Jesus Christ to define you. You will not look to your money to give you satisfaction, but you will look to Jesus to give you satisfaction. Paul wants the righteousness of Jesus to define him and not what he brings to the table or what the world can offer. We get to verse 10. Paul says, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Because of Paul's experiences and knowing him and knowing Jesus on a personal and intimate level, he desires nothing more but to know him. He wants to keep growing in his relationship with Jesus. That's what Paul wants. 
That's it. That's it. He might have used to want a bunch of other things, but right now all he wants is to continue to grow. I want to continue to know Jesus more and more. Our passion, too, as Christians must be knowing Jesus. Right. So we shouldn't just read this and say, "Okay, Paul, I see what you got going on. That's what's up. I'm going to do my own thing. No, no, (laughs) that's not how this works. We, too, should want to know him more and more. All right. If you're a Christian and you really know him, you really met him. Paul says you should want to know him more and more. All the religious stuff that we do. Right. Only becomes valid if knowing Christ is the goal. Paul also knows. He talks about the fellowship of his sufferings. He says he he knows that he's truly that if he's going to truly become more like Christ, he will experience suffering. It's one of the things that Pastor Alton is always talking about, whether in front of us or behind the scenes. And he's always talking about how Christians, how if God's going to use you, you're going to suffer. Right. And, And really, that's every Christian's least favorite word. Suffer. Suffering. Nobody wants to hear about suffering. But, some, but suffering is something that we should all embrace. Again, if we truly understand God and know who Jesus is, we know that he is not out to get us. But that his goal is that we would become more like Jesus. How does suffering make us become more like Jesus? Well, because Jesus suffered. Jesus suffered. Not only did he suffer, but his suffering revo- resulted in us being here. I know you because Jesus suffered. We're singing together because Jesus suffered. We're in Fairfield together because Jesus suffered. So if Jesus' suffering resulted in this, our suffering too will result in something great. When we suffer, we will experience the goodness of God and his power as we persevere and let God do what only God can do. Right. If you listen to God, if you obey God, if you walk with him, if you trust in him, um, you will have ups and downs. You will suffer. You will experience things. But you're going to let you're going to give God the opportunity to show you who he really is. And that no matter what is happening in your life, no matter what's going on, that he is, in fact, enough. He is everything. Then we get to verse 12. If you're reading, if you're looking at your Bible, you'll probably see that verse 12 actually starts a new section. Um, But when I was reading, I thought it was important to include verse 12. Something Paul reminds us of something that is really important. Paul reminds us that our motivation to be satisfied with Jesus uh, and to grow into his likeness as believers is because Jesus has taken a hold of us. It says that that Paul says, not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Jesus Christ. It's that second part that I thought was really important. Paul says, I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. We strive for this. We strive to know Jesus. I think Burnham said this earlier. We strive to know Jesus because um, that's because he came. Or, or, well, in fact, this is what he wants for us. 
Right. So if he doesn't want it for us, we, we wouldn't be able to want it. We wouldn't be able to want it. The re only reason why Paul is able to say that I want to know Jesus more, that I want to experience him more is because Jesus ultimately wants him to, 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 to desire those things. So we're not. So we don't we don't strive for these things because we think we're trying to gain something or we think that these that this will somehow make God love us more. But we do it because Jesus first did it. He first did it. We love because he first loved us. He came for us so that this could happen. He came so that we could know him. Not 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 just to save you for your sins. That's a good thing. But he came so that you might know him on a deep and intimate level. Ten years ago, I was not looking for Jesus when I stepped on the campus of West Georgia. I was not looking for him. Really wasn't even thinking about him. Not even sure if I brought my Bible to college. Now that I think about it. But I'm so thankful that God got a hold of me. And now I get to worship and serve him for the rest of my life. For Christians, if you're reading this, if you're, if you're sitting here tonight, I encourage you to continue to fight the good fight of faith so that you can continue to grow in your knowledge of the Lord, of our Lord, Jesus Christ. For those of you who are not sure about Christianity and that are here tonight and are still exploring whether or not this Jesus is legit, I encourage you to speak with one of the church leaders Join a Bible study so that you can learn about Jesus for yourself. I encourage you to, to, to take the time to actually sit and learn about who this Jesus really is. And I pray that this leads you to becoming a part of the family of God. And that you will one day, like the rest of us, will seek to know Jesus more and more. That you will know that he is all that you need, that you don't look to that you don't need to look to anything else. Right. That you can find your joy, your purpose, your satisfaction, your fulfillment in him. Right. That he's not just enough for salvation, but he's enough for everything else. If I have him, I'm good. If I have him, I'm good. So going back to earlier. Ten years. So, Noah. What is your biggest takeaway thus far? In your first 10 years, a decade with Jesus. I would say Jesus is enough and he truly does satisfy and nothing else can compare. Jesus is enough. He truly does satisfy and nothing else can compare. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you that we get to, to sit as a family and worship you and, 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 and hear about your goodness. Thank you for Paul reminding us that we, we can be satisfied in you, uh, that, that, that no matter what is happening, no matter what is going on, no matter what we've lost, no matter what we think um, is of value, none of those things compare to knowing you to loving you, to worshiping you, to experiencing you. And Lord, help us to do that. Help us to trust you. Help us to obey you. For those of us who are struggling in either of those areas, Lord, help us, grow us. Father God, meet us where we are.
And Lord, I thank you for this evening. I thank you for the word of God. I thank you that uh, you're using uh, this church, Father God, that you're using this church to sharpen us, to encourage us, to correct us, and to ultimately make us more like yourself. So Lord, I thank you. Um, thank you for the word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm not sure who's closing. Is that me? No, Pastor Chad. Please rise for the benediction.